Welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about sparkly vampires so you don't have to. Um, I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And this is our very first episode. Welcome to it. Welcome to it, the 10 people that we know who are told <laughs> to listen to this. And stray vampire enthusiasts who may it's have true. wandered in. <laughs> uh, so this is our first episode, so before we even get started, we wanted to just explain a little bit about what our deal is, and the shortest way I can describe it is to say that it's like, uh, how did this get made, or Mystery Science Theater, but for books... So we're going to read some books that maybe we don't think are very good, but we're going to try to figure out what other people like about them and have some fun. And we also would like to just start right off the bat by saying that this is a, we want to be respectful in our disrespect disrespect of these <laughs> books we all read things that maybe we don't want our dates to know we read we all read things that maybe we acknowledge as we're reading them they're not gonna win any literary awards or be passed down through the annals of time um there's absolutely nothing wrong with reading a book that perhaps ends up on a podcast like this one but <laughs> it always is fun to sort of wonder how in the first place this became you know a multi-million dollar bestseller like how did this even happen right and um and my my day job I'm a teen services librarian and when people find out about this a lot of the time they're like oh haha so is your job to convince teen girls not to read twilight and that is not my job. My job is to make sure there's enough copies of Twilight for every kid who wants one. And I, yeah, as much as I love to talk about Twilight, which I do love to talk about Twilight, I, I think it's great that it's something that has captured the imaginations of so many kids and adults. And let's talk about why. Along with our guest today, Caroline from Fantastic Fangirls, who is a Twilight expert. Hello. Hey. All right. So we're going to start each episode off with um, a book report, which in the case of Twilight might not be super necessary. I think most people on the planet are pretty familiar with at least the basic concept of it. But just in case you're not, our, our summary is that Twilight is a love story between a young girl with an inner ear condition and an old man with a skin condition. One of the interesting things, so... Um, Right now, I work a boring day job, but prior to this, I was a children and young adult bookseller, and I read Twilight back then just because it was so wildly popular, and the whole phenomenon sort of started um, before I started selling books um, when I was in college, and I kind of came in like right when Eclipse came out, and I was just curious about it. So I'd read it back then, and I've not read it since, and in the meantime, clearly, the world has become super polarized about how they feel about Twilight and what Twilight means and how it's the downfall of our society, etc. Yeah, it's going to so cause like back. infinite abusive relationships. <laughs> like we're very worried about people who read it because they're going to have unrealistic expectations of and human vampire love. People, we clearly <sighs> mean teen girls because they need to be protected from things that they like. Because we're the arbiters of what is good taste to them. Um, so I think the thing to start off that was most interesting to me rereading this after 
so long is how very mediocre it is. Right. It's not terrible. It's not. And it's not fantastic, but it's not like garbage. Well, I should say this is Caroline um, chiming in. I'm here not only as a Twilight expert, as I, I like to, um, because basically I asked you to introduce me as that because I, it has been my dream for some time to be invited on somebody's podcast as a Twilight expert. I'm Mission also a Twilight. Uh, what? Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, we're glad I am we here, could fulfill I, that dream for you. <laughs> I am also here as a Twilight enthusiast. And I want to say that up front because a lot of the time it's probably not going to sound like it because <laughs> I really genuinely like and enjoy these books and these series and these characters. And, but I also like they're really fun to make fun of. So it's very hard to find that balance. But when I first I actually got sort of conned into reading Twilight or persuaded into reading it when um, NPR, um, the Monkey See blog, a few years ago, so after it was already kind of a big deal, did a read-along for what they call their I Will If You Will book club, which is sort of like um, one member of the, the website dared somebody else to do it, and then they had a public read-along. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't read bad books. I have better things to do with my time. But I picked it up anyway, and I was just like, man this is really fun. It's kind of loony, but yeah, it's not necessarily the worst thing I've ever read, but it's, it's, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the mediocrity, but it's also just really weird in like, so weird, surprising ways. So, so that's, so, and I, that really like drew me in and I'm like, what is this weird girl going to say about this weird thing next so that was sort of my perspective and I would that was reinforced on rereading it yeah I got into Twilight I would also I guess describe myself as a Twilight enthusiast or at least someone who has spent hours like talking about Twilight um but I I had heard of the books vaguely but I didn't really know what they were but then um the movie came out when I was in the Peace Corps and a bunch of my friends and I, like, if we were together, we would just kind of go see whatever American movie was out. And so we kind of, like, accidentally went to see Twilight, and we weren't really prepared for what, <laughs> we, were, <laughs> what we were about to experience. And then we all just became obsessed with it, and we would just, like, uh, somebody brought the books back, and we would, like, read them to each other over the phone, like, because <laughs> um, we didn't have enough copies to go around. So... I mean, we got in deep with Twilight, and it was kind of like our weird touchstone to what was happening with American culture while we were gone. And also, yeah, it's just really weird and fun, and it's great to have a group of friends that, that dazzle you and that let you tell them that over and over. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that I'll say, while I'm not necessarily a Twilight enthusiast, I've only read the first one. Um, and like I said, I was a bookseller Um specifically for children and for teens and a lot of people would come in and kind of I guess expect me to hate Twilight or love it and I kind of like fell into this middle portion where I read the first book I had no desire to read any of the others and I didn't really understand this like bizarre hold it seemed to have over people but as more and more people started to hate on it and particularly hate on the fan base, which, as I said, is 
the majority of which is teenage girls, I started to get weirdly defensive of it. And that was one of the things I think that surprised me by uh, the mediocrity of it is because I've literally spent the past few years vehemently defending Twilight and the people (laughs) who read it on the internet to strangers having only read the first book myself and not particularly caring for it that much. Right. Well, and the thing is, like, for for my job, I kind of read um, a lot of vampire books, even, like, I would say I don't care for vampires that much, but just because it's what kids wanted to read, I wanted to at least be familiar with all the different series. And uh, so I read a lot of them, and most of them are actually much worse than Twilight. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's why I guess maybe they're not as famous or whatever. That's why, like, dudes on the internet can't even say, like, oh, like, the Morganville vampires ruined vampires forever because they haven't even, like, heard of it. But they've heard of Twilight, and they know girls like it, so they ruined vampires forever. I think I first became aware of the whole Twilight phenomenon when I was at my bookstore and they were having a midnight release party for Breaking Dawn. And then once Breaking Dawn came out, I think, which is the, the fourth book, um, people started talking about like not just how popular and you know bad influence on girls this was or whatever, but just how completely batshit insane the fourth <laughs> book is. Yeah. So, which, which is really true. And um, I, I'll also say that the movie came out around the same time as the fourth book. Mm-hmm. So I, I I kind of personally like being in that world at that time attributed it to both that the movie was coming out and it was becoming like a big thing and the casting, you know, every day my one coworker who was super into Twilight would come in with like the casting report (laughs) of who was cast and how she felt about it and why. And their looks weren't exactly like the looks of the person, how they were described in the book and all of the, which I can't even fault her for that because God knows I've spent hours nitpicking casting of characters from comic book movies on the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I That's think only it was because really some like of them a, are wrong. Uh, a, a double whammy of the fourth book and the like, like craziness that surrounded that. I ran one of those midnight release parties, so I'm totally there with you on that one. And also the movie casting and all of this additional speculation and exposure because of that. Can we start out talking about Bella before we get into the actual dramatic readings? Yes, of course we can. Yeah. Because I, uh, one of the things I was first familiar with about the books was the idea of Bella Swan as this heroine who is torn between the two boys. So I, you know, the Team Edward and the Team Jacob t-shirts. One of them is a vampire. One of them is a werewolf. And so then I would kind of ask people about who had read this about, well, what about Bella? And they're like, eh, Bella. She's just there. She has no personality. She's sort of a blank slate that girls can project their fantasies on. So when I actually read the book, I'm like, guys, Bella has a personality. She does. She is a judgmental asshole. (laughs) And I love it. Oh, yeah. Because when when I was 17, or or I was such a judgmental asshole. And I completely just very much relate to, and, you know, I I went to high school with some lovely people. I went to my reunion recently, but, you know, it was just more like the fact of when I walked into my school, I don't want to talk to any of these people. I don't want to be friends with any of these people. Why am I alive? Why am I in school? And I guarantee you, if a bunch of just like, you know, sparkly 
Hollywood looking so much better than everybody else. Uh, you know, in reality, I would have hidden from them, but <laughs> I would have been—I I would have um, been probably equally fascinated by their adventures and their exploits as Bella is with the Collins and the Hales. Because I was a judgmental asshole, and I feel like we don't—I don't see that enough. I don't think that Stephanie Meyer realizes that Bella is as much of a judgmental asshole as she is. Uh, oh, by the way, can we curse on this podcast? No. I'm going to have to add all that out. <laughs> so, so sad. So that's where I will start with Bella. Also, I, I think, love Kristen Stewart. So, so that was definitely an influence of my wanting to read the books. Oh, right. I, I think another thing that's great about Bella is like, not only does she judge all of her peers, she like judges her parents and feels like very superior to them. And in a way that I think a lot of teenagers do. Um, but you see, like actually what she wants, well, I think what she wants most maybe is to become a vampire, but what she wants second most <laughs> is to protect her parents, which you don't see as much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, it's funny to me that, that people would say that Bella's a blank slate because I feel that Bella is probably one of the only characters that gets a lot of development until most of the way through the book. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a pacing issue with the book, too, which um, we can talk about later. But, um, you know, we are inside Bella's head, but it's not just as like looking out and seeing the world. But we get a lot of what she's feeling, why she's feeling it, her opinions on people, her opinions on things like why she does things. I can't imagine why people would say that she's not a character or that you know, she's boring, because that was the other thing that I used to, like, oh, well, you know, I don't like Bella, but I like all the other characters, so I'm reading it anyway. Whereas, like, Bella's really, I mean, she's a jerk, and she's a judgmental asshole, but she's nothing compared to frigging Edward and his (laughs) smugness every other line about how smug he is and how he's smirking at her. You know, she's, she's pretty great, comparatively. I had forgotten how much he bugged me. I th- and I think he bugs me more in the first book. So I think that that was what, when I was like, man, I don't remember him being this, this, I mean, I kind of knew like that he follows her around and whatever, but just that he like mocks everything she says. He's just Every, always, he's not so just laughing, but patronizing. he chuckles. So patronizing. Have you noticed how many times he chuckles? That is Stephanie Meyer's <laughs> favorite verb. <laughs> Yeah, between chuckle, smirk, and smugly, that those are like the way that she describes him. He just mocks everything she says, mocks everything about, about her, like makes fun of every single aspect of her life, and then, you know, apparently is super in love with her or something. I, I actually <laughs> tried to keep track of how many times he smirked, and how many times she used the word smugly, and I, I lost track at some point. Oh, Edward. <laughs> um, while another, going back to Bella for a moment, I had also forgotten how, like, terribly clumsy she is. And, and like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's her character flaw or, like, whatever. But it, it really does seem like she has some kind of inner ear condition, or like there's something wrong with her. Like, she'll say things like, oh, I can't go to the dance, that would be dangerous. And her dad's just like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like- <laughs> she can't, walk. She can't walk across a, like, flat surface without falling down. Like, that's not clumsy. There's something wrong with her. Right. You know? it's, it's, 
if an excuse for having like bruised ribs and a broken <laughs> skull and a concussion and a, a broken leg is oh, I fell down the stairs and fell out a window, and it is super believable to everyone you've ever met, you might want to get that checked out by someone. Right. Oh, dear. But, well, we I, I'm sad, actually, Kate, that you haven't yet gotten to the third book, or perhaps never will, where she takes up motorcycle riding um, specifically to injure herself. Oh, my gosh. She doesn't need to do that. She can just, you know, play polo and I'm sure get the same. She can play mini golf. Oh, my God. Vampire polo. Broke my cheekbone playing mini golf. That is dangerous shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I forgot, too. I mean, you can take any sport and make it vampire sport and it's way cooler. It's like (laughs) vampire baseball, obviously awesome, but vampire polo next level <laughs> vampire mini golf <laughs> there's a lot of untapped potential i think that like why do they only play baseball i don't know it's true and given the length of this book you would think that she would have time to get into a few more of those sports um which i guess is sort of a clumsy way of transitioning into talking about the length of this book it's very long. <laughs> I um I was saying to a friend when we were walking to lunch the other day that it it kind of shocks me that upon rereading it that this is a book that was published in the manner that it was published because of the, both the length and the fact that very little happens in the first two thirds. If I'm being generous. It's very monotonous in a way that almost reminds me of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I guess I should say off the bat that, um, you know, I, I am a person who is very fanishly into things. I write fan fiction. So when I say this book reminds me of fan fiction, I don't mean it necessarily in a bad way. What I mean it is that it's a book that minutely describes every single action of someone's day-to-day life that's of little of no consequence. Yes. That's so true. Yeah, because what a lot of fan fiction is, it's like, okay, well, yeah, like, we saw Captain America in his movie having his adventures, but, like, now I want the fan fiction of, like, what he does on his day off, and they're not going to show that in the movie because it's too boring. So we'll just write <laughs> the- And this is, like, sort of presumes, like, Bella Swan is a character who already had a very exciting movie, and, like, we got that, and now we want to know, like, day-to-day what she thinks about during chemistry class. Yeah, but- like... <laughs> That's exactly it. Like, I don't mean it as an insult. It's just not, you know, it's fan fiction is one type of writing. Professional published fiction is a different type of writing. They serve different purposes. And it's very strange to see a professional book serving the purpose that fan fiction tries to fill in. Like, it's a very fill in the blanks, a very like, here's what I was wearing today. Here are my opinions about everyone I go to school with. Here, you know, Edward's at my house and we're eating dinner. Here's the recipe for what I made the for reason, dinner. I think one of the reasons that the um, that the first person voice of this actually grabbed me when I was reading this is that I have, you know, over my life, read a lot of like other people's posts on, for instance, Live Journal, and this was very much as like the first half of this book is very much as though it was like 
compiled from that kind of that person that you might have followed on live journal you don't really remember why and but they have kind of interesting stories and they kind of or they have they have vaguely interesting stories and they have sort of hilarious um to you observations about their um friends and family that they present without a good deal of self-awareness it's very much <laughs> as though she were writing it that way on purpose but that's just kind of what's and especially like she has all these friends she makes at school like instantly like it's she has the attitude as though she's this unpopular kid who was dumped into the new school but she actually everybody immediately wants to be friends with her wants to go out with her she can't be bothered to remember their names half the time right right she's like yeah there was angela i she's constantly describing people by saying i think his name was kyle (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think that was Lauren who said this. And I wouldn't, by the way, she at several points recognizes Edward um, by his, the color of his hair. And I'm just like, I think we're supposed to believe that she's seeing him from behind. And that's why she has to recognize him by the color of his hair. But it's, it's non, it's not specified. So it's just, even though she presumably knows what his face and his body look like, she'll go, I could tell it was Edward because of his copper hair. And so that's kind of the, the so much of the pacing stuff that you could just tighten up um, um, in that description. But it's kind of, um, it's kind of, you know, soothing to read. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. She describes like literally every time Bella makes dinner for Charlie. It's like, <laughs> here, here's what I made. Here's what we had. This is so then I, I cooked it and I put it on plates and I brought it out to him. Like, yes, we understand all of the steps that are inherent in making dinner for your father. I don't think that we really need a play-by-play. Well, it's like she knew how popular it was going to be, and so she was just, like, getting ready for the Twilight cookbook (laughs) (laughs) spin-off. Does a Twilight cookbook exist? I feel like this is a thing I should know. I don't think that it does, but it should. I'm going to Google it. Million-dollar idea. It'll just be, like, boring recipes out of, like, the Better Home of the Gardens cookbook, you know? Or, like, off the back of the package of pasta. Oh, guys, love at first bite, the unofficial Twilight cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> Ed- Edward does, doesn't eat. And that was actually, that's the conversation that I, I left off because I didn't quite get through the whole reread. But it was a conversation where she asked him if he would eat food if somebody dared him to. And he says, well, would you eat dirt if somebody <laughs> dared you to? Right, and then he does eat, he eats, like, the apple or something. Uh, yeah, okay. Like, that's... to prove that he can't eat dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Did, um, Renata, would this be a good time to talk about vegetarianism in regard to vampires, or do we want to hold that off? Oh, no, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, I'm, as a vegetarian myself, I'm deeply offended by, um, <laughs> wait, let me, I know I bookmarked the exact quote. Let me pull this up, I'm not prepared. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm deeply re- offended by his uh, belief that being a vampire who only drinks animal blood is, like, the same as being vegetarian. Um, actually, not even that, but, like, the way he describes it as saying, like, it's like how a human who is vegetarian would, like, never be fully satisfied. Like, well, actually, Edward, it's fine. <laughs> it, humans are omnivores, Ed- Edward. It's okay. We'll say that the existing Twilight cookbook has very bad reviews on Amazon, so there could be room for another one. Oh, okay. good. Now, yeah, I'm that. now I'm fascinated by what might be in it. Oh, here <laughs> it is. Okay. 
I can't be sure, of course, but I'd compare it to living on tofu and soy milk. We call ourselves vegetarians, our little inside joke. It doesn't completely satiate the hunger, or rather thirst, but it keeps us strong enough to resist. Most of the time. Like, that's not how it works, Edward. God. <laughs> you mean you don't find yourself wandering the streets at night, stealing people's pets and eating them because you eat meat so badly? <laughs> Just one time. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I mean, maybe in like 1901, that was their understanding of human nutrition. Maybe he's like never bothered to like update his beliefs about vegetarianism. But I I mean, I feel like vegetarianism was at least, I mean, it had adherence in like at least the 19th century, you know? I mean, for like religious purposes, though. So maybe. (laughs) Or maybe for not, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but, like, maybe he sees it that way, like, you're denying yourself because of, like, your religious beliefs, but, like, otherwise, uh-huh. why would uh-huh. you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know a lot of humans who take that tack towards vegetarianism. <laughs> I personally am a meat eater, but when I... <laughs> No, like going out with my vegetarian friends who people will be like oh you're a vegetarian like because of religious reasons do you have a dietary problem it's like no not not i don't think they do as a person with a dietary problem who can't eat cheese i'm offended that you would think that <laughs> do vampires eat cheese if so, like, they can't they taste like sad dirt. lives I live a sad life, I know, as a person who can't eat cheese. Okay. Are, are, are we ready to get into dramatic readings? I mean, we, we had yeah, a little preview, but yeah, I, I would say let's go. Okay. Well, the, the passage that I picked is, um, because I'm fascinated by this passage, I was rereading this on audio, and I had to run it back two or three times because I thought I must have heard it wrong. And this is the passage where Bella is in the cafeteria and sees Edward and his siblings um, walk into the cafeteria, and it, it changes her life. So I'll just start here. <laughs> there are five of them, and we've already gotten a little bit of background here, but starts here. They didn't look anything alike. Of the three boys, one was big, muscled like a serious weightlifter with dark curly hair. Another was taller, leaner, but still muscular and honey blonde. The last was lanky, less bulky, with untidy, bronze-colored hair. He was more boyish than the others, who looked like they could be in college or even teachers here rather than students. The girls were opposite. This is maybe my favorite sentence in the book. The tall one was statuesque. I think those words mean the same thing. She had a beautiful figure, the kind you saw on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, the kind that made every girl around her take a hit on her self-esteem just by being in the same room. Her hair was golden, gently waving to the middle of her back. The short girl was pixie-like, thin in the extreme with small features. Her hair was a deep black, cropped short and pointing in every direction. And yet, they were all exactly alike. Every one of them was chalky pale, the palest of all the students living in this sunless town. Paler than me, the albino. She's not actually an albino. They all had very dark eyes, despite the range in hair tones. They also had dark shadows under those eyes, purplish, bruise-like shadows, as if they were all suffering from a sleepless night, or almost done recovering from a broken nose. (laughs) Though their noses, all their features were straight, perfect angular 
But all this is not why I couldn't look away. So first of all, she just described five different people in detail as if they are all going to be equally important to the book. And then she said that none of this is the reason that she noticed them. (laughs) I stared because their faces, so different, so similar, (laughs) were all devastatingly, inhumanly beautiful. They were faces you never accepted to see, expected to see, except perhaps on the airbrushed pages of a fashion magazine or painted by an old master as the face of an angel. It was hard to decide who was the most beautiful, maybe the perfect blonde girl or the bronze-haired boy. Now, the bronze-haired boy eventually will turn out to be Edward, but this entire description, there's no distinction made in how much attention she pays to these five people. There's a random mixture of all these different types of beauty, including a Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazine, a fashion magazine that's airbrushed, and a painting by the old masters, all of which I think are very different. And then later on that um, I think one of them is described as loping along like a dancer. Again, different kinds of things, all sort of generally beautiful lumped together. So it's so... It's it, it, it's like great description that doesn't describe anything. And in fact, several times later, she is unable to recognize Edward except by the color of his hair. Even which, though she's... which, by the way, like sometimes she says it's bronze and sometimes <laughs> she says it's red. And it, like those are different colors. And it, yeah, it's, it's all... V- and yeah, that she can't even decide whether she <laughs> thinks that the tall blonde girl or Edward is the most attractive, <laughs> which is also an interesting statement. So I do it's, think, and too, then, that it's... Um, I think, too, that it's interesting that she starts off by saying the tall blonde girl who's Rosalie uh-huh. is possibly the most attractive because that goes on to become Rosalie's defining feature basically for the rest of the book. Every time Edward or someone else brings up Rosalie, Bella has to dedicate a few lines to how she's so gorgeous that Bella can't even be in her presence because she's just so hot that she can't stand it. So I think that this is an untapped goldmine of Bella Rosalie fan fiction that we've discovered here. The true pairing of the book is the unrequited love between Bella and Rosalie, or at least unrequited lust. Although I will, f- I will fight you as a Bella Alice shipper, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I so, guess um, we'll move on. Um, Kate and I are going to um, do a dramatic reading, and we're going to um, just read the dialogue only and skip out some of the descriptors here um, just to really, like, give you the full the full experience of this fast-paced dialogue. So um, for the purposes of this dramatic reading, I will play the role of Edward, and Kate will be my Bella. <laughs> You know how everyone enjoys different flavors? Some people love chocolate ice cream. Others prefer strawberry. Sorry about the food analogy. I couldn't think of another way to explain. (laughs) You see, every person smells different, has a different essence. If you locked an alcoholic in a room full of stale beer, he'd gladly drink it. But he could resist, if he wished to, if he were a recovering alcoholic. Now let's say you placed in that room a glass of hundred-year-old brandy, the rarest, finest cognac, and filled the room with its warm aroma. How do you think he would fare then? Maybe that's not the right comparison. (laughs) 
Maybe it would be too easy to turn down the brandy. Perhaps I should have made our alcoholic a heroin addict instead. So what you're saying is, I'm your brand of heroin? Yes, you are exactly my brand of heroin. (laughs) Does that happen often? I spoke to my brothers about it. (laughs) (laughs) To Jasper, every one of you is much the same. (laughs) Racist. (laughs) He's the most recent to join our family. It's a struggle for him to abstain at all. He hasn't had time to grow sensitive to the differences in smell and flavor. Sorry. I don't mind. Please, don't worry about offending me or frightening me or whichever. That's the way you think. I can understand, or I can try to at least. Just explain however you can. So Jasper wasn't sure if he'd ever come across someone who was as appealing as you are to me. Which makes me think not. Emmett has been on the wagon longer, so to speak, and he understood what I meant. He says twice for him, once stronger than the other. And for you? Never. What did Emmett do? I guess I know. Even the strongest of us fall off the wagon, don't we? What are you asking? My permission? I mean, is there no hope then? No, no. Of course there's hope. I mean, of course I won't. It's different for us. And it... (laughs) (laughs) These were strangers he happened across. It was a long time ago, and he wasn't as practiced, as careful as he is now. So if we'd met, oh, in a dark alley or something? (laughs) It took everything... (laughs) (laughs) it took everything i had not to jump up in the middle of that class full of children and when you walked past me i could have ruined everything carlisle has built for us right then and there if i hadn't been denying my thirst for the last well too many years i wouldn't have been able to stop myself And that's the story of how Edward didn't eat Bella. <laughs> but, but are you aware that there that Stephanie Meyer's self-published fragment Midnight Sun? I read it. It does contain Edward's point of view on wanting to eat, eat Bella in that scene. Yes. So wow. It, yeah, the, it, that might it's be not, something it's, I have it's to not, look up. Yeah, it's, it's it's not that exciting. But <laughs> it's it, illegally it, available on the internet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, can can they mention Carlisle? Can we talk about Carlisle? Of course. Yes. Carlisle. Because I want to hear you say Dr. Vampire, Vampire, Dr. Doctor Do- Vampire. Dr. Vampire, it's Dr. Vampire, comma, Vampire Doctor. That's what it says in his business cards. <laughs> we should have his own show, um, which to be fair, I think Chris Sims from Comics Alliance did a Twilight Sporking on Twitter at some point, and I think he actually did um, make a big deal about Dr. Vampire because he thought it was funny, but then I, I made the twist of I believe that he should have a show called Dr. Vampire, Vampire Doctor, which would be kind of like the, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or Highlander or something like that, which would show his adventures throughout the years, meeting famous people and trying to convert them to vegetarian vampirism. <laughs> he, 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 he's an, an amazing person. The other thing besides Christian Stewart that made me want to watch the movies is that Peter Facinelli, who 
played Mike Dexter in Can't Hardly Wait. Um, it does play Carlo Cullen, who is he is actually, I believe, significantly older than the the young. Um, I think he's supposed to look like he's about the same age as them, but he he actually is significantly older, but has dyed blonde hair, which is the second most hilarious hair in the Twilight movies after um, Michael Sheen as Arrow of the Vulture. Yes. And with with and Pattinson is really only a distant third. Right. Actually, let's move on to Would You Rather, because our first Would You Rather is Would You Rather Read Twilight or Watch Twilight? Well, I have to admit that I have never somehow seen Twilight, um, which is weird for a couple of reasons. One being, like I said, I was kind of, I felt like I was in the center of this Twilight explosion um, in between, torn between all the these people who both loved it or hated it and um, there were a lot of group outings to see Twilight and I did not manage to go on any of them and the second reason I think it's weird is because I've really wanted to watch the riff tracks of it and <laughs> I just haven't done it yet um, even though I've heard it's hilarious so I guess I'm gonna have to say by default read Twilight. Well, I'll tell you what, okay, um, the Rift Tracks is good, but almost as good is watching it with the director's commentary, because um, it's oh really, because it's the director, but it's also Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, and they <laughs> hate it. <laughs> is, is that Captain Hardwick, like, on the first one? Yes, movie? yeah. I've only uh, done the commentary of the first one. I should really seek them out because the first one is so like I've watched the commentary twice because it's so funny because uh, yeah, Rob and Kristen are just like making fun of it and they're like, oh, like I look like a goof in this scene or whatever. And Catherine Hardwick is like, no, no, you guys are great. You guys are great. And she's like really defending it. And they're just like not having it. But she, she got fired after the first movie for, I think, making it, um, I don't know, not boring enough. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, although I have to say, I prefer the first Twilight movie to the other movies, partly because Jacob is not in it very much, mm. um, and Taylor Lautner is just he, dear boy. It's like when he has scenes with Edward, um, it's like a trained actor and somebody from an eighth grade drama class, and it's really hard to watch. Aww. But then I dislike the first movie because. The reason I wanted to watch it, the, okay, at first I gave two reasons. One was Kristen Stewart. One was Peter Petronelli. The third was because they have a vampire baseball game. And I was trying to figure out how they played a baseball game with like six total people. But you can't actually tell in that scene because it's so many quick like MTV style cuts. You can't figure out what's going on in the baseball action. So for that reason, I would rather read Twilight. So what we really, I think what we've concluded so far is we want a Twilight cookbook and we want like a vampire sports spinoff show. Yes. Yes. Um, I also, my favorite thing about the movie that's not in the book, and this is like a very minor thing, but it is something that I love and that I quote a lot, which is in the book, there is a scene where Bella confronts Edward and she's like, oh, did you get contacts? Your eyes change color. Which, like, is because he drank blood, but she doesn't know that yet. <laughs> um, and so in the book, he's just like, no. But in the movie, he gets very flustered, and he says, um, it's the fluorescence. And I think <laughs> I think that's a great line. And I, like, you know, somebody's like, oh, did you get a haircut? Like, just, like, look at them very awkward and be like, it's the fluorescence, and, like, walk away. <laughs> And just, like, blame, the, like, attribute everything to the fluorescent lighting. 
Um, and I will say actually <laughs> that the last two movies, the two halves of Breaking Dawn, are legit amazing in so many ways. And so, if the answer was, would you rather watch Breaking Dawn than watch any of, than read any of the books, that that is the correct answer. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, next, would you rather be a vampire or be a Dracula? Hmm, this is a tough call. I'm going to go with be a Dracula. Because Draculas are pretty badass. Um, They're pretty effortlessly sexy in a way that we never really get to see the sparkly vampires or vampires in other literature be effortlessly sexy. Mm. And... Because once in an X-Men comic, Dracula tried to mind control and date Storm, and that would be badass. <laughs> Good. Okay. Caroline, how about you? Oh, man. Um, I think, see, I kind of, I just tend to think of, like, Dracula, the character Dracula being kind of old and gross. Um, and so I think I would actually rather be a, a Cullen style vampire with the sparkles mm-hmm. and the unlimited money and the fast cars and <laughs> Alice and I could have Alice Cullen as my personal shopper. So I would rather be a Twilight vampire. I, I agree. I think you um, hit it on the head. All the best reasons for being a vampire. Also, I think people like shit on the sparkle vampire so much, but I think it's kind of genius and I love it. I will say, I meant to say this earlier, so I'm just going to plop it in here, for lack of a better, since we're talking about the sparkling. I know three different adult women who, when they first read that meadow scene, where he steps out into the sunlight, and she's, like, so dazzled and, like, completely overcome by how sparkly he is, that she has no words... All three of them claimed that that moment in the books, like, frigging changed their lives. Like, turned them from naysayers into devotees of Twilight and of Edward. And I don't understand it. I, I don't, <laughs> first of all, understand why you would like read st- that much of a book and then get to that point and be like, no, my entire, this was garbage, but now it's <laughs> Yeah, because And I also don't get in. the appeal in general. Yeah, I, I like I like all the parts of the books, but Edward. Yeah, and um, oh, and Jacob. Like I like the sparkles. I think it's abstractly like a fun idea. Like oh, you know, they don't melt in the sun. They're just like too dazzling. I think that's like kind of fun. But I'm not like yeah, I'm not like sexy attracted to sparkle vampires. But I would like to be one. Mm-hmm. Like it exactly. would really cut down in my monthly body glitter bills. <laughs> Okay, so this might have the same answer, but it might not. I, I don't know until I ask. So I'm going to ask, would you rather date a vampire or date a Dracula? I'm going to flip my answer on this one. I would rather date a vampire, especially a Twilight-esque sparkly vampire, because Dracula dating seems to be a lot of mind control and killing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. apparently... Twilight-esque vampires can at least sort of date humans without, you know, mind control and killing. So I'm going to go with that. That is also my answer. Yeah, same. Um, Plus, I mean, Edward, like, he is, he does have, like, these kind of creepy, like, old-timey morals 
and like whatever, but he's still, I think, more progressive than a Dracula. So, you know, that's kind of what I'd rather get with. Okay. We'll move on now and do some brief reader's advisory um, books to suggest um, instead of or in addition to Twilight. And like I said uh, at the top of the show, I did read a ton of teen vampire books, and um, Twilight's really not bad compared to a lot of what's out there, but I think that my my favorite of the um, sort of non, non-satirical vampire books or would be The Vampire Diaries by L.J. Smith, which I was surprised about. I actually was surprised by how much I like The Vampire Diaries. Hmm. Um, I am going to throw my weight behind the Reformed Vampire Support Group by Catherine Jinks, which is, um, it's kind of about sort of the questions that I have, you know, with Edward and his, why would he go to high school? Like, why would you do this to yourself if you're hundreds of years old? Uh, the Reformed Vampire Support Group centers on the concept that vampires can choose not to kill humans just like the Cullens um but they live kind of shitty boring lives where they're stuck looking like the age that they were when they were killed and have to hide from society and um, it's about a group of these vampires who are reformed who get together to solve the mystery of who's been killing um people from their support group okay that sounds amazing it is. <laughs> um, can, I, can I throw my weight behind actually Dracula by Bram Stoker, which is sort of, it has its own like real um, legitimate ridiculousness um, going on there. But I also thought it, and I didn't read it till after I read Twilight. I thought it was very informative actually um, that a lot of like people have this idea that there's this like really established Dracula legend that is like the right kind of vampires. And it's like, like there's no real consistency in that novel at all it's very unclear most of the time exactly what vampires are doing and what their strategy is but um you know like like mina harker and like lucy's like amazing like four different boyfriends who come and give each other blood transfusions and like van helsing being creepy it's just like it's good stuff you know it's like i think that's a good like basic and then there's some amazing movies um i would recommend including dracula 2000 which stars um johnny lee miller as um, Van Helsing's young assistant, I believe, and Christopher Plummer as Van Helsing, and just some, like, really weird uh, vampire scenes. Excellent stuff. Um, and also, um, what is, um, Renata, what is the one we watched with Vamps. Christopher Ritter? Vamps. Sorry, Christopher Ritter and Alicia Silverstone as modern-day New York, like, Sex in the City girl vamps. Also amazing. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to find unless you get the disc from Netflix. But, but totally worth hard. it, I would say. I know that's not reading as far as reader's advisory, but, you know, once I got on Dracula, I felt like those were the two films actually did that did the best job that I've seen of really translating the Dracula mythology. And I would also, um, the vamps involves Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey as a Van Helsing descendant who's very pampered and clueless. It's fun. Yeah, I definitely recommend that movie would- also. And I would also say, um, book-wise, I actually, I haven't watched the show yet. I'm going to have to um, acquire it and watch it sometime soon. But I really enjoyed The Strain, the books of The Strain, Uh um, by Gromo del Toro and somebody else. Um, But, you know, now that the show is 
out there. I'm sure that it's very Chuck easy Hogan, to Google it? and find. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. I think, <laughs> um, but I, I, think I read the book. Who also wrote The Town, of all things, with the ben, the ben Affleck movie was based on. Nice. Um, but I really did enjoy the books. I thought it was an interesting take on the, not the first take on vampirism as a disease, but a really interesting one. And I really liked the characters. Awesome. Um, and we will put up more books. We'll have a list of them on our blog, which is worstbestsellers.com. So check that out if you just can't get enough of vampires slash Draculas. Um, we're going to move on now. This is something that Kate and I started talking about as a joke, but then we're like, maybe that's actually a good idea. We don't know. <laughs> um, and that is to have a, I suggest a candy pairing for for your book. Um, kind of like at a fancy restaurant, they'll suggest a wine that goes with your book. We're going to, su- or with your meal. I don't know. Maybe you go to restaurants where they give you books. Um, but, you know, they suggest a wine pairing for your food. We're going to suggest a candy pairing for your book. Um, and I'd like to propose Dark Side Skittles, which if you haven't seen them, it, they come in like a purple package and they're just sort of like regular Skittles, but with like dark, cool flavors. Like instead of grape, I think it's like raspberry and you know, it's, it's like a familiar concept, but, um, they're kind of confusing and, um, maybe, maybe you don't like it quite as much as you like original Skittles. Um, I'm going to go with a very specific um, candy tailored actually to Twilight, which was um, Neko put out a bunch of commemorative sparkly conversation hearts um, when the Twilight movie came out. They actually glittered. They tasted worse than actual conversation hearts and had a little like, I don't even remember what they said on them, but they were Twilight related phrases and that is pretty much Twilight in a nutshell to me. Overmarketed, kind of interesting to look at from an outside perspective. But once you actually get there on the ground, it is pretty mediocre and blah. Yeah, my only, um, I agree with the conversation heart and just add that I want one that says, um, you are my own personal heroine, which is, I, I, under, I assume we're saying H-E-R-O-I-N, correct? I mean, that's what Edward says. Yes. So not, not, not heroin like the heroine of the story. No, he's, he, I think he's too condescending to think of her as the heroine of the story. She's just his substance. <laughs> he's just an object to him that he craves and doesn't care about the feelings about. <laughs> With blood that smells excellent. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and then since, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, books that mostly are for young people. We want to make sure that they have a good moral and um, that they're teaching us a good lesson. So we're going to say what we think the moral of the story is. And for me, what I've come up with is that family is the most important out of all the things that you eat. Good, good moral. Good lesson <laughs> to take away from this. Um, I think mine would be that if this book and multiple movies, television shows, and other media have taught us one thing, it's that when the bad guy calls you and tells you, come alone, don't go alone. That's stupid. <laughs> and and my um, moral would be that if you can't walk across the street without falling over your own feet, it doesn't mean you're special. It means you should get your ears checked. <laughs> Yeah, we should have, you know, I mean, actually, 
I'm glad you're here as our Twilight expert, but with hindsight, we also should have gotten, like, an ear, nose, and throat doctor to come be our guest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you are listening to this and you are an ear, nose, and throat doctor or other specialist, please email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com and uh, diagnose Bella. (laughs) We're curious. (laughs) Okay, um, so this um, this is our very first episode. It's the first podcast that Kate and I have ever recorded, and I read Podcasting for Dummies, and it specifically told me that it, if you're recording at home and you have pets, you should shut the pets away so that they don't fuck up your podcast. But I did not do that, and um, instead, um, Kate and I decided that we want to make my cat Dorota an active participant in the podcast. So um, we've given him this little space at the end where he can share his own opinions. So um, here's Duarte's Corner. Okay, thank you for that, Duarte. Does anybody um, have any other closing thoughts I'd like to say besides, um, besides our morals? Which were very good. Oh, I would just like to say Dr. Vampire, Vampire Doctor again. <laughs> and I'd like to say that, you know, as much flack as Twilight gets, I can think of about 900 more terrible books that I read when I was the target audience for this that taught me way worse things about life. So I turned out mostly okay. So, you know, mm-hmm. good luck, girls reading Twilight. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> I think that's a great closing thought. Uh, <laughs> and I agree. Um, okay, well then, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Worst Bestsellers. There will be more to come. Um, you can um, visit our blog at worstbestsellers.com. You can email us your thoughts and your diagnoses for Bella Swan at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Renata Snacks. And you can follow me on Twitter at 14, all spelled out across. I am on Twitter at Mad Marvel Girl. And I, you can also find me on fantasticfangirls.org. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.